0: How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of the SovTech podcast videocast. Today in our makeshift studio, we have Jamie Channels down in Cape Town, our CTO of SovTech. We have Nusrat Khan, who's the head of product at SovTech. And we've got Edward Vincent, who's the managing director of our developers as a service business and enterprise here at SovTech. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Marco from Vidcast TV for kindly setting up in our very echoey boardroom, but we're here to talk some shit, shoot the breeze, uh, and deal with some interesting tech topics that's happening today and around the world. So today's topic is decentralization as a trend and human talent as an API, right? There's a lot of things going on in this space, and uh, we wanna talk about a few of those things today. So welcome guys, how's it going?
1: Thanks, awesome, yeah. Great to be here. How's it going? How's it going, everyone? Nice to be here. Going to
2: solve a few of the world's problems in here today. We're going to try.
1: (laughs) We're going to try. Exactly.
0: We're going to try. So, I mean, there is a few things on the agenda, but again, if there's anything interesting you want to segue into, let's just chat. I think that's the whole point. Uh, We want to be able to riff a little bit on what's going down out there. So, you know, obviously it's 2020, so of course we've got to talk about COVID and remote. So I'm going to start there, right? To say, do you think decentralization is a trend either in the money markets or in the people markets, COVID pushing it along? Was it going this fast anyway? What do you think, Niz?
3: Yeah, 100%. I think uh, COVID was a massive push um, uh, for the well in the space. Um, I think people were, or companies and industries, were moving towards this, but uh, COVID gave it the the push it needed. Um, a lot of companies I've noticed, or I've heard of, um, that you would never think would go remote, mainly in like the financial and banking sector. Um, you see now that they uh, they see the value in it. Um,
0: yeah, makes a lot of sense. Cool. So, so when you say in this space, I suppose for the people that don't know exactly what we're talking about, when we're talking about humans as an API, Jamie, what do you tell us a little bit about what does humans as an API mean and and what's going on out there?
1: Humans as an API. Well, um, I mean, easiest example is probably to look at something like uh, Amazon's Mechanical Turk. Uh, where you can pass information through an API and have humans pick up on another, another side and process it 24 7 365 including over you know christmas dinner if you wish um yeah and certainly i think uh humans as an api is something you've got to be very careful of because if you're treating your employees like they are humans as an api uh, thinking you're a greater orga- larger organization moving to a more decentralized approach uh, of course then culture and other surrounding factors are definitely going to drop. But humans as an API, I think uh, for the sake of this conversation, let's frame it as uh, AWS Mechanical Turk. Cool. Well, no, AWS I mean, being Amazon. Yeah, I mean, Amazon, Amazon is, Mechanical
0: uh, Turk. Yeah, what's interesting, I think is Amazon Mechanical Turk, I mean, I don't know the exact date, but I think it's almost like 17, 18 years old at the moment. So, I mean, this is decentralization and you know, outsource your work around the world and APIs to run everything. And here was Mechanical Turk solving this problem for Amazon 18 years ago. So is Jeff Bezos just a genius? Is he ahead of the curve? Ed, what's happening out there in our space at the moment? What are the startups doing?
2: Absolutely. Well, um, you know, I think one of you speak of Jeff, Jeff Bezos. I think one of the the really interesting partnerships in the space at the moment has been uh, between Amazon and and Slack. And we speak about how things have changed, and you know, the nudge that COVID has given the world. Um, when you stack a tool like Slack against something in the Microsoft Teams space, obviously Microsoft Teams having a far larger market cap than Slack, um, but in interesting to note that Slack, as a tool, has a far larger number of users um, and number of instances running out there, Um, and perhaps one of the drawbacks to Slack at the moment is their online uh, video call and calling kind of functionality, Um, and I think with the kind of foundation that they have at the moment, with the number of users, the number of instances that they have running, um, they haven't quite been able to tap into the enterprise space Quite as successfully as the tool like Microsoft Teams, um, but I think you know with uh, the Amazon partnership between Slack um, and Amazon with Amazon uh, Chime, yeah. um, I really think it's an interesting space to watch out for there, um, and yeah, really should give um, you know Slack a little bit of a, a competitive edge over a tool like Teams uh, moving forward. So I think the race is certainly on over the next couple of next couple of months. Um, and yeah, I know this is not meant to be a, a financial. Uh, Stock-based conversation yeah. at all? Um, Are but you punting yeah, the stocks I'm, that you own? You own a bunch absolutely. of stocks Absolutely.
0: Slack. <laughs> so you're trying to punt it for the list. That's listeners. it. Okay. That's
2: yeah. it. Um, so yeah, watch out. I think Slacks, uh, Slacks, definitely a, a growing, a growing business. That's a interesting one to keep your eyes on.
0: Okay. Well, you know, I think it's very interesting. I think you know when you talk about those industries, I suppose when we go back, you know, news or Jamie, I mean, what what do you think is the industry's most at risk uh, from this sort of decentralising of the workforce? Is it ours?
3: um yeah i guess it depends how you or or, what what you mean by by risk like the company itself or no i think just the industry-wide
0: i mean any people-based business if you can send out you know i think this is the most interesting thing i mean maybe i'll just give you a bit of my thinking on it is that you know all these people especially silicon valley new york all these really you know you, uh, you know u.s media based organizations talking so much getting so excited about the fact that remote work from home now they actually the first ones at risk right because if you can work from anywhere you compete with everywhere yeah. right and so suddenly you've got you know development talent yeah. in america and yet here we are in south africa we have offices in nairobi and suddenly we can be you know a fifth of the cost we speak english we work in the same time zone and and doesn't matter where we are because if it doesn't matter where the workforce is at the moment and so you know i think any people-based organization is at risk but maybe just you want to talk a bit about the open source space and decentralization and one or two of those projects you were mentioning earlier to me
3: um yeah sure 100 i think one of the projects that really caught my eye was um i came across it a while back but i cannot remember the name for the life of me um uh, it's such a cool project it's almost if you think about uh some of these freelancing platforms um like one doesn't come to mind now, but Upwork and Upwork, Freelancer, work, yeah, document, these kind of things. Like um, your- you go and you post, um, you know, some sort of work you need done. Uh, you give a bounty to it, and people can go ahead and, um, you know, try, try work on it, try to solve a problem, and then they get paid um, for their work. Um, there's this blockchain project which essentially does very, uh, it does the same thing essentially, um, but your reward is done um, through uh through cryptocurrencies um and the work is validated on the blockchain itself
0: very very cool very very cool and 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 i suppose that means that almost there's this way to actually incentivize and compensate the open source community 100 percent. right so most open source people you know the the industry's developed over the years and yet still most open source work is done from the goodness of people's hearts, or just being interested in a project, or actually just for some recognition. Now there's actually money attached to it.
3: 100%. And beyond that, there's no centralized authority. For example, if you think about Upwork or even GitHub, where you're contributing your code, on there's no centralized authority behind that. It's just it's on, for, it's oh, on the blockchain. Amazing. It's all there.
0: So I mean, GitHub is an interesting, interesting mental model for for this conversation. So Jamie, when we talk about GitHub and you think about version control, right? So you 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 kind of say this is my issue. And somebody around the world goes out there and and fixes it for you, right? In the open source model that that Nuz is talking about. Now, could yeah. businesses, could businesses do this? Could you know could Apple's next design iterate for the MacBook say check in an issue, say, well, we can't fit the battery into the into the new casing as an issue on GitHub and someone around the world goes and solves this for them and gets paid a whole bunch of money? Is this is this is this what's gonna happen to us?
1: I mean, it's not a case of if it's going to happen. In fact, it's already happening. Um, I can't quite recall the name of the company again, following on from you knows. Um, But already there is an entire crypto-based ecosystem around GitHub uh, issues remaining open and people completing those four points. And uh, I mean, that is redeemable on the majority of of exchanges out there uh, for any other type of cryptocurrency. So essentially it holds monetary value. Uh, So it's already happening. And um, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think last month they did uh, something close to about $350,000 in uh, payouts uh, within this currency, uh, within this ecosystem for solving open source problems. So the the shift is already happening and the the numbers are, well, I suppose what most people would term at the bottom of a hockey stick curve, Uh, but looking pretty, pretty good and pretty attractive. So, I think in the next two to three years, we're going to see a lot of growth on the curve and uh, ecosystems like that emerging to really um, remove the need for uh, interfacing even with these freelancer type of uh, platforms. It's all going to kind of be baked in in the background of your version control management systems.
0: Very cool. That's very, very interesting. And I um, I think one of the inadvertent impacts of that is to remove... Uh, education as a gatekeeper to be able to actually solve problems because you if you're on the other end of a single github issue nobody checks what qualification you have before you can solve it as long as you can solve it you can get paid for it and i think um it's a, maybe education in the new world will leave for another episode but I think it is quite an interesting trajectory. It, I mean, talk about from your side, I mean, you're actually selling this stuff, right? I mean, you're Absolutely. actually providing this service to companies. I mean, tell us a little bit about how that works and, and where the market is for this.
2: No, for sure. Yeah, so I think it's really been interesting as uh, you know our business has grown to see how our global footprint is, has changed. Um, we've, or I've always seen our uh, global distribution as a bit of a competitive advantage. Um, reason being is, you know, it allows you to hand select teams from your global uh, talent pool and that really becomes quite a quite an interesting space
0: and where is I mean when you talk about your global distribution where Absolutely. are some of the places that you have people at the moment
2: yeah so interestingly in South Africa um, in Johannesburg Cape Town, Uh, and Limpopo, which is quite, quite an interesting one. Um, And then moving through Africa, uh, Zambia, Zimbabwe, as well as Kenya. Um, And then, yeah, when we're looking at a bit more of an international scale uh, out of the UK as well. Awesome. Um, So, yeah, I think it's quite a quite an interesting um, kind of distribution there. Um, And a wise man once said that uh, talent is distributed equally um, and opportunity is not. And the interesting thing about that particular phrase is, you know, whilst we have the ability to service clients in different locations, we actually now empower individuals uh, from perhaps areas that do not have as much opportunity, but do have the talent base to work on really cool, exciting, innovative projects. And I think that for me is something that's uh, really exciting about, uh, you know, viewing the space and as being quite quite competitive in terms of our advantage there.
0: Amazing, and, 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 and you're plugging directly into some of the fastest growing startups in the world, right? Based out of Germany and the UK.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And are these
0: guys excited? Are they they doing more of it from you?
2: Yes, I really think, um, you know, a lot of companies are realizing that, um, you know, perhaps their core uh, kind of uh, ability internally is not the development space, um, but they might be very strong product houses, uh, and you know, investing in actually building tech teams internally doesn't always make sense for them, uh, and handing over um, a problem. To a fully managed service is really a space that's growing quite a lot in the tech game. Um, yeah, so giving giving these these kind of, you know, rapidly growing startups, uh, you know, fintech unicorns, as we call them, uh, the ability to uh, focus on growing their business whilst we uh, resolve any of their tech challenges and really help them scale uh, is a model that that has worked really well over the last couple of years.
0: Very cool, very, very cool. Um, And I think I mean moving from just like that people-centric view, I mean to talk about um, almost a a tech-centric view, which is botnets, right? So botnets are these globally distributed networks of bots and robots that that go and do things. Most of the time, it's nefarious, and they go try hack things. But they could also be a force for good. And I mean at the at the end of the day, behind that botnet, which is a group of people and so here's a group of people that can have a network impact on a global scale um and so i mean i mean have you built a botnet before tell us a bit about botnets you don't have to tell us what you might have done with it and uh we'll we'll have uh, complete the fifth on this but um i mean botnets as a mechanism i mean why is it only why is it only in the negative space why aren't companies doing this to solve problems
3: I mean, yeah, I guess if you think about where botnets started from and how they came about, I think you could probably go back to the first, um, I'm going to get really technical here, but like the first DOS attack. So if you wanted to take down somebody's site, you would basically go to the website and hold the refresh button and keep on refreshing. So you'd fill up the, um, the server with requests and nobody would be able to access their site. Um, eventually companies realized they could then go and block your IP and you wouldn't be able to do any damage. Then, then comes along botnets, which essentially would um, install an application that mimics the same behaviour on your computer without you knowing. And if you imagine hundreds of you know random IP addresses connecting to your website, how do you know which one to block? Um, but yeah, that's just a quick. Uh, and yeah. I mean, if that
0: botnet is 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 got hundreds of IPs, which is essentially hundreds of computers yes. trying to achieve a task. I mean, this is the distributed workforce of workforce. the future. Hundreds of computers. Yeah. I mean, if there's a person behind it, if it's a robot behind it. it.
3: Yeah, 100%. I think um, the one thing that you mentioned about uh, global workforce, I think what's so amazing about it, um, just for me personally, is um, let's say, for example, you're a Silicon Valley startup um, or company. um, You generally probably um, compensate your your developers around maybe $100,000 to $150,000 a year. Um, can you imagine being able to offer that to a Kenyan engineer who's self-taught and is able to provide for their family at that um, at that scale? Um, imagine them making money post an IPO and becoming an investor in that company. That's um, just, yeah, it's Ability such amazing... Ability to change the continent.
0: Mm. And what I think I get so excited about that trend is because I saw a, a map the other day showing that the average age... Uh, on the African continent is 18, and the average age on, in North America is 35. And you can just see that that kind of is just this, this bubbling, endless possibility right there, ready to explode, and I think tech can, tech can actually ride that wave. Jumping about, I mean, talking about APIs um, as a business model here, obviously we're talking about people, but I mean, talking about the biggest, like API-first companies in the world, you know, Twilio comes to mind, Stripe comes to mind, Jamie, I mean, Twilio just gone out there and bought Segment, another API uh, company, API first company. I don't know what they paid for. Something like, I don't know if you know how much they paid. $3.2 $3.2 billion, $3. $3. Point think, two yeah. billion dollars they paid for it. That's a huge amount of money for an API, right? There's no other software. It's just the API that runs the requests and there's something on the other end. So, I mean, is API first companies, are we going to see more of them? I mean, what Twilio, I think, is a $50 billion company now, right? So, that's what... Nine, uh, what would that be? 900 or seven, 800 billion Rand company. It would be the third biggest company in South Africa after NASPERS and BAT. API first, just, you know, stripe six lines of code. Jen, I mean, should we just be building APIs rather than building whole stacks of software? What's your thing on the API economy there? What's your view on Twilio?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think if you want to be developer friendly, you need to be uh, API centric in the way in which you're building software. So, if, you know, any, 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 Many products out there being designed today, you should really be considering uh, an API being available from day one. Um, just being able to to plug in and 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 you know interact with all these other platforms is is absolutely critical in today's age. So, uh, you know, coming out the box with something like Zapier or Segment, uh, having the connectors available online mean that. Uh, of course you're available, whatever your platform is, you can you can very easily uh, work with whatever other uh, software people already have in place within their organizations. And I mean, it, in most cases, uh, if you're a smart technical organization, you've got anything between 30 and 150, 160 different software products behind the scenes. Um, I mean, looking at a friend's company the other day, they uh, had a list of 162 different SaaS providers uh, behind the scenes, which is a ridiculous number. Uh, it's too high. In my opinion, you probably don't want to be higher than 50. I think for the sake of centralization management, but, um, you know, that means there's 162 tools with siloed data, uh, potentially, and you need to be able to get that out and have it working with your other tools. Otherwise you run the risk of uh, going back into this non API centric way of doing things, which is of course, more people. And the more people there are, the, more risk there is of things potentially going wrong because it's not systemized. Uh, so obviously big into the API side of things, but the API economy is almost, almost come and gone. I mean, that's a, that's a defector as of five years ago. Uh, I think what people need to be looking to now is uh, what is beyond that. It's uh, API plus smart contracts or API plus blockchain of sorts, uh, whereby um, it, it's not just uh, you making your platform available, but it's your platform available out there to others uh, without you having to even make it available and thus centralizing availability as opposed to, uh, you know, keeping availability to yourself, which is, I think, of course, the next emerging trend out there, or at least one of them.
0: Very cool. Very, very cool. And 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 I mean, I think it just going back to the market cap example, I think it expresses yourself. Like you said, it's five years ago that ship sailed. So, you know, the market cap of Twilio out there um, is bigger than MTN and Vodafone and you know, Vodacom and Telcom and all of these guys combined. And here at Softtech we are their only partner in Africa. That's wild. Yeah, we are the only partner in Africa. And, and it's a bigger telecoms company than all of our telecoms put together on like the content. And, 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 you know, that's just the kind of scale of the opportunity out there at the moment. And, and I think, you know, the simplicity, simplicity that comes with being developer centric, I think you, you absolutely nailed it on the head there. It's hard to get right. Yeah. But once developers pick it up, they put it in everything. If you're the favorite tool, they build it into everything. And so if you think about that from a, from a people as a service network, is that if we are the best API with people on the other end, human augmented API, developers will put us in everything. And, and it's, there's no almost third place, right? So I don't know who there's Twilio. I don't know who, who's next. I don't know who's the second biggest Twilio. I wouldn't be able to tell you. Um, and I think that that's why, like. and Stripe, amazing API based you know, payment system. Who's in just the smaller Stripe? I don't know. Um, it, I mean, what industry struggles the most with this transition? And, and I mean, a lot of the stuff we're talking about, if you haven't even, if you're not from the tech industry, you might be looking at us like we're a bit crazy, but this is very normal and it's happening. What's the biggest problem? What's str- who's struggling the most out there?
2: Yeah, so I think Jamie touched on a couple of interesting areas in terms of data being siloed, um, and we see it in a lot of the big blue chip companies here in South Africa, particularly um, in the financial services space. Um, you know, there is a complete um, you know guys are not not focused on an API first approach at all, which means uh, when any developer inside of that ecosystem wants to uh, connect to a database, for argument's sake. Uh, They need to actually go and find uh, the developer or the tech lead who actually owns the access to that inside of a, a bank. Of a couple of thousand people um, and get the correct kind of uh, permissions in order to to access yeah, that I, space. It's, so cr- it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. crazy. Um, a huge amount of red tape inside of that space. When you know you could actually have a uh, API um, sort of platform that allows you to access the kind of the tools required inside of that particular space. Um, and yeah, so I think a lot of the the banks are slowly starting to wake up to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know they they. But monolithic and as a result can't move as fast as you know what a lot of the leaders inside of the space would like them to be able to move.
0: Absolutely, and I think again, you know, sorry to hop on against this, but mm. again, Stripes market cap's bigger than every bank put together yeah. in South Africa. Yeah, and they're six lines of code, right? By two Irish guys who are 24 years old. It's terrifying. It's but difficult. I mean, that's just just the way the world's going at the moment. So, and then I mean, Ed, you mentioned Amazon earlier, and I want to talk about. I mean, and and I mean, you mentioned Amazon. No, I mean. Are these guys basically just uncatchable? I mean, if they build this, is, is that it? Is, is it, I mean, they AWS, they run everyone every server in the world. If they build a human workforce on the other end of an API connected to AWS, are they uncatchable in every space? Or or is there other guys building cool stuff in, in the API or list, serverless economy?
3: Well, yeah, I think from my side, if you think about just the two examples that you brought up now, so Twilio and Amazon, AWS has their own SMS offering, but... Like SMS and voice and all of these telecommunication things within AWS, but Twilio is still owning the space. Okay. Um, so I think from that example, I'm sure there are other spaces in that. Um, but yeah, it's easy to think that um, that Amazon would just own everything. Like if you look at what they've done with e-commerce, surely that's what's going to happen with APIs.
0: So if you look at, I mean, I mean, Google's got the machine learning API and the image recognition API yeah. and stuff like that. But if you look at APIs as basically this microservice infrastructure. You can plug anything into your app, build anything out. I mean, who are you more... Not maybe you're more worried about because we don't compete. Who are you more excited about? Who wins this race? Does Amazon keep winning? Is Google going to do it? Is Microsoft, is it somebody else?
3: Well, yeah, I think... I hope that there is... um Another company that just comes out of the blue i don 't want any of these uh, these big tech giants to <laughs> come along with it and it 's easier for them to do it because they have the manpower they have the they have the resources but uh, i think um, yeah i't don't, i don't know if there is a company out there yet, um, but I think that I would love to see a new player in the space uh, for those
0: who are listening and not watching i mean uh, I'm just sitting here in a Hacktoberfest t shirt uh, Hacktoberfest <laughs> is a program sponsored by DigitalOcean, so maybe he's hoping that DigitalOcean is, yeah. is the is yeah. the organisation that comes up there. Tell us a bit about Hacktoberfest and how that works with um, you know this the space that we're talking about.
3: Um, yeah, so Hacktoberfest is a initiative by DigitalOcean, um, and essentially what it uh, what it aims to do is uh, to drive open source collaboration. Um, DigitalOcean uh, offers um, sort of some prizes so you can win like or you can get like a t-shirt, a some t-shirt stickers, like and yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, cool. one of these. Um, yeah, I'm pretty bummed I didn't get last year's t-shirt because of the whole COVID situation and the South African Postal Service is quite a me. Um, <laughs> Pretty bummed, but uh, yeah, so it drives open source collaboration. You get uh, some rewards for it. There's a few other companies out there now jumping on the Hacktoberfest bandwagon. Um, Something happened recently that was quite interesting um, and kind of uh, not that nice. Um, Somebody put out a video, I think it was on Twitch or YouTube or something, um, showing how to create um, low value Pull requests and contributions. If you don't know what a pull request is, just to recap, it is a. Um, <clears throat> it's almost like offering to contribute to uh, to your repository. So you you've made a change to the code and you essentially open up a pull request uh, to request the author of the repository to take in your code. Um, track changes in a track document. changes and yeah track
0: changes in a word document and whatnot.
3: And off the back of that, uh, issues is now that. There have been such low-quality things that there's been such an uproar in the open-source community where uh, people have just been getting shitty pull requests. Yeah. Um, and it's just been spamming them. Um,
0: I, I mean, have you seen that this has impacted internally here at SoftTech? Less people are excited about this program this year. Our leaderboards are less full.
3: A hundred percent, because now repositories have to opt in to Hacktoberfest for you to contribute to them, and you have to find those repositories, which is, I don't know.
0: So, I mean, this is a microcosm of what happens, right? So if we talk about this... You know, Jamie was talking about this kind of issue-based space. You put an issue out there, anybody in the world can fix it. But because anybody in the world can fix it, you've got entire things around permissioning, around spam, around low quality, around bad actors, because obviously you, you, you're decentralizing your entire workflow and your entire business and, and any product you're building. Anybody in the world can impact it as well and negatively. Um, you know, so, Chen, I mean, how... how I mean, South Africa, UK. I mean, our clients, the industry. I mean, guys looking at cybersecurity. When you're talking about this space, distributed and decentralization. Should everyone just buy Bitcoin? Is this the only way to save save yourself? Own your keys?
1: <laughs> I don't know. A lot of a lot of topics and a conversation there. The the coin we were talking about earlier is called the Gitcoin. Uh, very original, nice cool. and easy to understand. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this whole—I uh, think the decentralization movement, and but more in particular, jumping back to what you were talking about around uh, these these monoliths and whether or not they're going to be uh, anybody's out there is going to beat them. Uh, I, I think coming in as a as a, a company, as we we usually think about companies, you know, like uh, digital Ocean. Uh, coming in fourth or fifth place there is is going to be really difficult. Uh, I I think there's a greater chance of disruption when you look at these, like, decentralized movements. So, Mm -hmm. I think even looking at AWS in its most simplistic form, uh, AWS started with cloud-based computing. So, uh, EC2, uh, proudly South African as well, in case you didn't know that. So, EC2 uh, is cloud-based computation, right? Um, And at the moment, there is decentralized cloud-based uh, computation that is available uh, on a platform uh, called Gollum. Uh, it's called the Gollum Network Token. And what they've done is they are focusing on providing decentralized computation. So uh, no intermediary layers and so nobody, you're only paying in Gollum tokens, but you can farm out. Uh, they have a very uh, strategic niche that they've been focusing on for the last three years. And that is design rendering computation, which is inherently um, very demanding and requires a great amount of computational power to process, um, but at the same time is quite simplistic in its requirements around how it is processed. So Gollum itself has has proved that it is working out there now that uh, you can use a decentralized uh, network of computers to run compute jobs, and I see that use case Only growing in the future uh, for people to be able to farm out their, you know, farm out your machine, but without an intermediary um, party and more an intermediary platform. So, who's to say that, uh, you know, the processing of any uh, Node.js script behind a web app actually needs a a cloud based server sitting in AWS? Uh, Why could it not just be sitting on this distributed network? And so you know, movements like that, uh, I think, have a much greater chance of uh, dethroning some of these big tech giants, uh, because I also don't think that uh, the US has got much on, the, much on them at this stage. Um, as of two days ago, I think there was a move to break them up, but we'll see how that goes. Um, uh, so yeah, I really think that we need a movement to change the status quo.
0: Well, geez, I think that's quite a, quite a uh, scary future if you're sitting there as an Amazon investor. Uh, because they you know this is the reason people are buying the stock because of aws um so i'm assuming you're a golem investor then
1: uh yeah i have been for a while
0: and you're an early contributor right as i understand it you're one of the original guys here into golem uh, how long have you been invested in golem uh i
1: think since probably like 2017 2017 um, okay yeah. I mean, since their first ICO, which was, uh, I think, 2016, 2017, somewhere around there. But, I mean, I find the use case fascinating because, you know, that is what they're doing. They're decentralizing, um, like, complex computation. And that is a fantastic use case for distributed networks.
0: Well, I love it. I think uh, I completely agree with you, and it fits with this topic. But also, if you're looking at it as an investor, I think the way to be really successful is to be contrarian. And uh, so as much as Jeff Bezos is the flavor of the month at the moment, I think you've probably got a better chance betting against him long-term because that's how you actually get the outsized outcome. So I, I really love it, both from a, from a coin-based player as well as a tech-based player. Right, guys. Well, listen, I think uh, that's everything for today. Um, is there anything else you guys want to touch on? No? Cool? R- all right. Well, look, I think um, thanks so much. It's Epic. a good first episode. Uh, we talked a lot of nonsense. We went around in circles. Hopefully some people can get some value out of this. Uh, and hopefully even even if it's just the guys inside SoftTech, I think that'll be cool as well. But uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it.
3: Shots. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks, everybody.
0: Cool, cool. Ciao, ciao.